Welcome, one and all, to Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek Discovery podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. I know I'm brilliant. What are you trying to get out of me? Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 105, Choose Your Pain, comes to you now via the United Federation Planets Spicilial Network. And just a bit of fleet news before we arrive at the episode. First off, Pete, a quick reminder, back back in the dark days, when was this show even going to happen? There's chaos on the bridge again. Just a quick reminder that actor Shazad Latif, finally able to be seen in these episodes. He was originally cast as the disciple of Tukovma, then named Cole. The character has since been renamed as Vok. Uh, now played by Javid Iqbal. Uh, the Cole name, of course, has been given to Kenneth Mitchell's character. And now, finally, Latif joins the show. Or does he? Indeed, Pete. No baloney. You just blew my mind with a theory we are going to share later on. Also later on, Pete, somebody's going to win a thing, going to win a prize, going to win their own uh, Star Trek Discovery badge. Uh, a reminder that though we're going to announce a winner later in this episode, you too, dear listener, can be a winner. Leave a review for our Star Trek Discovery podcast on iTunes or indeed also on the Pop Culture Podcast. You can mention your love for our Star Trek Discovery coverage there or your hate. We don't tell you how to review, uh, but if you do review, uh, do let us know that you've left a review and you will be in the running to win one of what will be at the end of this podcast episode, two remaining badges. The badges are really, really sweet. They are very, very well done, officially licensed, etc., etc., and uh, a, a neat prize to win, Pete. I don't just want the badges. I want the Starfleet issue uh, maroon pajamas. <laughs> and now for a mission briefing. We begin, Matt, with a series of uh, images, the bridge with its its pinging. Uh, we're in the uh, mess hall. We're in sick bay throughout the hallways of Discovery before finally we have Burnham in engineering. And then she sees herself in the reaction cube. So it's clear this is some kind of dream sequence. Uh, then she initiates the spore drive and just like uh, Ripper, the tardigrade writhes in pain before she wakes up to the snoring of Cadet Sylvia Tilly, her roommate. I am OK with this as an opening. Clearly, in retrospect, is it is meant to be a type of foreshadowing. Uh, if you want to say, well, her mind is working on this problem left over from last episode, which is that Ripper, the tardigrade, is not uh a a, a, uh, an infinite resource to be used and she's starting to figure out they're gonna have to plug a person in there that's all true the fact that it then completely comes true by the end of the episode a little kind of writerly but still good stuff with that pete we cut to the menagerie presumably later in that day she's telling dr culber that the creature seems to be deteriorating it seems to be depressed but is she anthropomorphizing he's gonna he's gonna run some tests and help ascertain the situation run some tests if she's anthropomorphizing <laughs> well i think run some uh, tests to see whether her concerns are anthropomorphizing no or... abs absolutely and you know kudos to the special effects departments not only creating this creature which you have never doubted on screen for a moment 
that it's there, though it's not there. And secondly, to make you feel for it here, sloshing the, the water in its dish with its proboscis. Um, and, and we have similar cares for it the way that Burnham does, despite her label as a mutineer before we're flung to some fancy looking starbase, Matt. Pete, is this a is this a Kelvin starbase or a prime timeline starbase? Regardless, it's a starbase. Uh, Lorca is there along with uh, the, the familiar face of the the one admiral and some new brass, at least new to our eyes. Uh, Lorca is talking of his accomplishments, all that he has done with the spore drive. He and his team, he's not taking all the credit, uh, but Starfleet really presses that they need more technology, more information, more tardigrades. It's around this point, Pete, there's a Vulcan at the table too. Just a, a nice little surprise there. Admiral Cornwell here, who will later learn her first name is Katrina, has called a strategy meeting and Lorca is explaining how busy the discovery has been over the last three weeks since preventing the massacre at Corvan 2 with their dilithium mines. The big headline, though, is that Admiral Cornwell wants discovery to hold back, rein in use of the spore drive. Uh, this, of course, is in opposition to what Lorca wants, which is to be fighting back, to be using the ship to, uh, you know, to its full tactical advantage. And we have tension. With that, Pete, take us to the mess hall. Yeah, this is where Burnham and Tilly catch up there. Uh, it's lunchtime, as we are told in dialogue. And um, Burnham... Seems like maybe she's trying to let Tilly off. Uh, Tilly picking up on some possible cues there, Matt. Is, is she she getting the brush off? But no, Burnham, though she's never been less busy on this ship, she's worried. I read the scene slightly differently, that rather it's it's Tilly who is trying to communicate on all frequencies, friendship messages, and, uh, and and it is Burnham who is putting up the wall here, albeit because Burnham is, you know, dealing with, with what we are coming to understand is the abuse of this poor animal in the, uh, in the menagerie. But I read it as Tilly is just putting herself out there emotionally and Tilly has decided enough is enough. I'm going to start to pleasantly chip away at this, uh, at this shield that Burnham puts up. Um, Burnham, of course, doesn't want to talk. There are larger issues in her mind. And Tilly, bless her heart, Pete, thinks that it's because Burnham doesn't want to be friends. Oh, maybe you've made friends with other people on the ship. Implication, <laughs> Pete, maybe you've made friends with the cooler people. I love you, Tilly. I love you. Yeah. Uh, from there, we're flung back to Lorca in a more intimate setting with Cornwell. He's injecting himself in the eye with a hypo, something that Matt surely had a difficult time watching. <laughs> it, it first looks like eye drops, then it looks like eye pokies. Pete, when I rewatch this episode tomorrow with my wife and daughter, my wife who works for a cornea surgeon, I look forward to her either giving a conjectural answer or whipping out <laughs> there's this app where medical people take pictures of horrific things that they see and she'll be like oh look here's a bifurcated whatever whatever and, and it'll be far worse than what Lorca goes through I suspect anywho Pete Lorca he's 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 sitting there in the dark using his eye pokey drops this is when uh uh, Cornwell comes in, lights to full, and he yells at her rather, rather casually for turning up those lights. 
Yes, we find out through the dialogue here. She is a doctor. He distrusts doctors. That's why he's not had his eyes fixed. Something we'll find out a little bit later in this episode about. Um, But lest he think she was piling on, she chooses now to bring up the dicey subject of one Michael Burnham. Uh, and Starfleet Regulation 139-82, which allows him to conscript to draft virtually anyone at a time of war. Uh, she further says that, yes, he has this right, but this is bad for, for morale. I took that as fleet morale, the notion that, you know, subjectively the worst person ever in Starfleet has now been given a second chance. What does that mean? Does that mean that now, you know, Ensign so-and-so can show up without the the boot buckles polished or, you know, so-and-so doesn't need to completely finish the diagnostic of the, of the uh, matter antimatter reaction chamber or whatever it might be. Um, I had to wonder too, Pete, is it me? I don't want to be projecting my own, my own perception of things onto the show. Is there a little bit of a spark between these two or am I just, do I just need to say, Hey, it was just professional and I need to get over myself. Well, they they do uh, affirm the friend status, but uh, who knows uh, how long that could last or uh, whatever might have happened in the past here. A but, bit more seriously, I just want to point I want, here's something that we can just track. This isn't quite theory wise, but here's something we can track. Lorca with the eye situation that gets exploited in this episode for torture. I'm interested to see, do we develop that further or was that a device planted four episodes ago because the show was saying, wow, we're doing serial. We need to have him tortured in the episode. But how do we torture him? Knife to the gut? Uh, what if it's something already going on in him? And they kind of backtrack it there. I'm just curious to kind of take apart the show here. Well, we'll have to see. No sooner are we on a shuttle away from the star base that a warp signature is detected. It's a D7 Klingon battlecruiser, Matt. Uh, they get caught up in the green tractor bay, uh, or tractor uh, beam, I should say, rather, being brought into the bay. And then I found it a little interesting, while they have their phasers trained on the door, one Klingon comes from above. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an opportunity for the stunt people or the writing or or both to say, you know, <laughs> These aren't your these aren't your father's Klingons. How how do Klingons attack? What is the what is the more uh, you know uh, uh, kind of forceful way in which to attack? Uh, as the fight unfolds, Pete, I was let me just tell you something. I was so shocked that nameless shuttle pilot was the one that, <laughs> that got killed. Um, a bit more seriously, I saw that he got stabbed twice. It's only later in the episode that, at least for me, and I'm not claiming poor lighting, poor props, poor shots probably was just me it was only later in the episode where i said oh man these klingon disruptor uh rifles they have a batleth bayonet or two in the front um which was just a touch i really really like that makes a ton of sense of course they're going to have long range and short range uh, weapons all in one um but of course pete they're here for Lorca. they mentioned him by name and pete they left his little eye medicine pen yeah chekhov's uh hypo spray there um should wait, wait, point Pete, out Pete, for that... new listeners what do you mean do you mean the checkoff is coming to this episode what, <laughs> quickly quickly explain checkoff's gun 
That would be uh, Russian novelist Antonin Chekhov, who uh, posited the belief that if a gun is shown in the first act, that it must go off by the third. So we're planting the seeds here. You mentioned um, the the mining of Lorca's eye problem first seen in the third episode, and here we are in the fifth, and it's a major plot point. We get the title card at this point. Uh, I will note this script is by Kemp Powers, maybe the second best name I've ever heard connected to behind-the-scenes <laughs> entertainment, the first being... The, uh, the Disney guy from the 50s and 60s, Card Walker. Uh, we also have story by Berg Harberts and the aforementioned Kemp Powers. Episode directed by Lee Rose. Aboard the Discovery, acting Captain Saru hears from Admiral Cornwell here about the fate that has befallen the shuttle with Captain Lorga. The pilot is dead and every bit of intelligence is being sent to the discovery uh they think that this was targeted because of the unique propulsion system that they've been using over the last three weeks and that maybe the klingons will be trying to pry the secrets out of him saru at this point tells detmer yay detmer by the way i'm a huge detmer fan uh detmer's told to set course uh saru here is cool under pressure that is until his threat ganglia come out Burnham arrives. That's what set off the threat ganglia, Pete. And she's there wanting to talk to, to the captain. You know, where, where's Captain Lorca? Oh, I guess she didn't get the update. Um, she then overhears that Stamets is being told to prep uh, for multiple rapid jumps with the spore drive. And uh, as you can imagine, Pete, she has some things and some stuff to say about it. But this time she takes it on to the ready room. Yeah, uh, I like, too, that we checked in on this scene. Beyond uh, Detmer, there were several uh, officers around the bridge that we've formally gotten to meet here by name. We, of course, had Lieutenant Owokasen, uh, who is the helmsman, um, who's uh, looking for the warp trail. And then we also have Commander Aram, uh, who is uh, alerting Stamets as to the possible use of the spore drive. You know, the spore drive they were just told before to uh, dial back. Well, <laughs> desperate times, desperate, me desperate measures, etc. Into the ready room we go. Saru is incredulous that Burnham is worrying about this, this mere animal. Uh, what with the captain in such a dire situation. I like the kind of unspoken. There, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on under the hood here. Mm -hmm. Saru, who has evolved from lesser animals, so to speak. You know, I think it's kind of this case of, well, he's not worried for the kind of creatures that didn't make the jump that his species did. Furthermore, this is his greatest fear of losing a captain the way he saw Burnham lose a captain. Um, and Saru hammers that point home that, that, saving Lorca is the priority and then he dismisses uh dismisses burnham and he has a sigh heavy lies the crown and then pete we get a nice nice little meaty nod to star trek past and star trek future from where we're at in the timeline kind of sorta absolutely um he has the computer call up a list of the most decorated captains living and deceased and we're, we're treated to a who's who. Uh, Robert April 
Uh, he, of course, the original captain of the USS Enterprise, Jonathan Archer. He, of course, the uh, captain of Enterprise uh, from that series. Um, Matt Decker, which is uh, not as deep a dive as April. Um, this, of course, coming from the uh, Doomsday uh, device episode from the original series, the the shell shocked captain who beams his entire crew down to a planet that the uh, doomsday machine then ate. Uh, Philippa Georgiou. It was nice to see that uh, you know posthumously she's given this honor as one of the top five captains. And then of course Christopher Pike, out there somewhere, Matt. Boop, boop. <laughs> uh, Saru wants the computer to cross-index, cross-check all those winning factors and to later compare them against his decisions, essentially so that the computer can keep an eye on him, at least in retrospect. Curious that they don't use it later in this episode, but I'm reminded of uh, writer and producer Ted Sullivan, who this week had a little bit of a respectful finger wag to somebody on Twitter, you know, who said, Oh, how'd she get the telescope in the last episode? And it was like, this is serial television. Things don't need to explain at the end. Don't need to be explained at the end of every episode, particularly if they're going to come back later. I don't know that we're going to get a great subplot of history of the telescope and uh, an episode from the telescope's point of view uh, in the future. But I'm willing to say, since we don't return to this in this episode, maybe that is for later. With that, Pete, shh, shh, Captain Lorca's asleep. <laughs> yes, and uh, checking out his uniform there with Klingons speaking in the distance is another man. We immediately identify him as a bearded Rain Wilson, who, it's no secret, this is mud, hardcore Fenton mud. Uh, he reiterates, ouch, Harry for short. Um, and... This was a casting back in March, so we can assume this was filmed at some point in March or early April uh, that I've been excited about for a long time. And the character's last words in this episode had better tease his return. <laughs> well, Pete, I try and run pretty spoiler free. In fact, there's another space battle uh, property that had its preview come out in the last week or so that I'm intentionally not seeing. <sighs> I will tell you this come from on. some of the discovery preview stuff that's been out there. I think there are some lines that he says that we have yet to see. So yes. either it's cutting room floor yes. or it's more mud. Um, but mud here tells them that they are on a, a Klingon prison ship and uh, he gives some some background background rapid fire style of a man who himself who had borrowed from non traditional lenders. He could buy his girl a moon. Now his girl's be, name. His girl's name is Stella. Pete, like like we see in classic Trek episodes. Also, like that that Star Trek dog that's on the Twitter. I know it's it's really uh, the the symmetry is is almost too good, Matt. Um, but. Uh, we find that there's another man in the room. Um, Mud tells us not to worry about him. He's uh, out to lunch. Uh, indeed. And I will admit, Pete, I thought that that was going to be the, the Shazad Latif uh, character. And, and if the show was out to trick me, then indeed it did. Um, 
so anyhow, I, I I guess I went slightly uh, slightly confused there. This is the point where the Klingons come in. They're told, choose your pain. Uh, Mud points to the other officer, who is promptly beaten in the room, concluding with a kick to the head and shot in a way by, uh, by Director Lee Rose so that we don't see the damage caused by the, by the foot, the foot is blocking the camera. I think it was a, quite a bad hit there, Pete. Uh, and then the, then the guy is he's kind of dragged out. I thought that person was Lieutenant Tyler. The only concern that I have is that, and I don't know, one of us is right, one of us is wrong, I suppose. Later when we see Tyler, he's not marked up. Well, he, uh, he references they fix them up so that they can make them last longer. Uh, and yes, he is cleaned up when he comes back, but the guy looked suspiciously like the other guy. I mean, maybe do a better job if they're supposed to be different of making them look different. And if they're supposed to be the same, give a non-bloody close-up perhaps? I don't know. Regardless, Pete. Right. Like, too bad about Corporal Smith there. I'm a different person. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, um, Mud notes uh, that they, the Klingons, look stupid, but they are not. We can accept the beating or give it to others. And uh, Mud says that he's been choosing wisely. And Pete, with the line, "You're gonna, you're gonna want to stick with me." There's just a slight sing-song nature to his voice, evocative of that original actor playing Mud. Uh, I have to think that that line and perhaps the one after it are were just meant to to be an opportunity for Rain Wilson to really kind of hone in on the other performance just for that moment, you know, not, not until it becomes parody, but just for that moment. And then to bring it back to himself as we end the act, we cut to, uh, discovery here with, uh, Burnham bringing Dr. Culber to Stamets trying to, uh, take a page out of, uh, Hollywood's manual, Matt, you, you butter somebody up before you make the ask. <laughs> Uh, indeed, but uh, Stamets seen, uh, sees right through that. He acknowledges his own brilliance. Why are they there? And both uh, say that the tardigrade is weakening, that there is now medical uh, you know, details to suggest that this is verified, uh, given that I think within the narrative of the show, which is to say, excluding the fact that we know that, uh, that uh, Stamets and the Doctor are a couple, we know that from, you know, social media not from the story itself the fact that dr culber is taking this professional advice to his i don't know who's the superior in the uh, in the, the chain of command here but certainly to his colleague uh, and, and expert in another area very very telling uh, upon you know uh, upon thinking of the the notion that there's also the personal life that the two share it's the first time we've gotten confirmation that Culber is not the chief medical officer on Discovery because he's got to go assist with an Andorian tonsillectomy. We've had a lot of Andorian shout outs through the first five episodes here. Um, but they're worried about the sustainability of what's called the S drive for the first time um, with the tardigrade. And, uh, as it will come up a little bit later in the episode, sentience as well being a concern. And and indeed, this is the point where whether we're talking about its sentience or the pain that it feels separate from any sort of higher level thinking. 
um, it's it's Stamets who is quick to remind uh, Burnham that she is the one that brought the tardigrade into the situation. Uh, and Portabella, I, Portabello, though. Come on, Matt. <laughs> well, be that as it may, I think that I'm kind of with him on this. Maybe that's Pete because, you know, I, 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 if I was in Starfleet, I think I'd be an engineer, too. But, uh, you know, so I gotta, gotta stay with the department here. But, I mean, he has a certain amount of blood on his hands for this, uh, this creature's poor plight. But I'm kind of with him that she has more. I mean, she's the one that had brought it along and, and put the pieces together and so on and so forth. I feel more sympathy for him than her in this situation. I... And it's why I would be in the command division, Matt. I'm, I'm all about the big questions. And I think we, we know there's more to Burnham than meets the eye in terms of the, the worlds that she, uh, you know, tries to bridge and the, the things that concern her. And she's one of few. She's now convinced Colber of the potential issues with this tardigrade organism and obviously the dual nature of this story with choosing your pain as opposed to being subject to pain when you have no will for self-sacrifice to place yourself in that um this this is the big star trek question well, back we go to the Klingon ship where Lorca finds for sure ZP. No debate. It's actor Shazad Latif about to be named out loud as Lieutenant Ash Tyler. Who says um, they let us heal up so that we last longer. So it's not definitive that that other guy dead, one healed up and, and brought back. Who knows? It, it's interesting. There's there's a lot of interesting that, things that surround Lieutenant Ash Tyler and this Klingon prison ship. See, here's how I read that line. Like, oh, there's another guy over there in the alcove around the corner. I didn't see you before. Why didn't I see you before? Well, because they let us rest up to last longer. I've been in the, t- the little timeout hidey hole because I'm going to go for the beatings <laughs> later. Unlike poor Joe Schmo there, who I guess isn't coming back. That's how I read it. That's all. It's, it's interesting nonetheless. Uh, and uh, Lieutenant Tyler says, so you're a captain. And uh, Lorca walks away. Uh, Ash Tyler follows, introducing himself and offering some food. Pete, he's been there since the Battle of the Binaries, which is what Lorca calls it. Here, after in, in last week's After Trek, it was confirmed that the official name is the Battle of the Binary Stars. So Lorca, a rascal, even when it comes to the showrunners. Um, and there's this point, Pete, where if you are going to be dropping a bombshell theory later in the podcast, I will just point out that Lorca seems note to, he seems to note that Tyler is looking in such good shape after being here for seven yes. months. Yes, the captain has taken a liking to him. Um, and uh, I'm also Pete. I, I, I'm not trying to tease out this theory. I'm just going to say this theory is correct. When we get to it, it's 100% correct. Um, anyhow, because I just thought of something in the last episode. Anyhow, okay. <laughs> uh, Lorca, I'm really excited about it. I wish our listeners could hear the discussion too, and they will. But we have to have our, our meat and potatoes before we have our ice cream. Lorca muses about getting a message out, out to that ghost ship of his that could snap in and get him and take him out. 
Yes, and that's something that's uh, front-loading for later. He gives both Mud and Tyler choice pieces of information that Laurel will parrot back to him. Uh, but he notes there that, oh, wait, you, you were on the Jaeger. You were at the Battle of the Binaries. Wow, they named it. You know, Tyler's not aware, but he says he had the finest captain here. This was Stephen uh, Marinville. Um, and the details of this Klingon ship are sparse. Uh, they uh, seem to have maybe 30 to 40 crew members, not much in terms of layout. They know that they're deep in Klingon territory, though. Uh, and then that's when Mud's little spider pet steals the cracker, it seems, that Tyler had uh, squirreled away. Spider pet, spider pet, does whatever Harry Mud wants. Um, yeah, t- takes the cracker thing, uh, brings it, maybe it's, maybe it's Lambus bread, Pete. That's a reference you would not understand, <laughs> but many of our listeners would PS Pete hates Lambus bread and the entire story universe that talks about it. Anyhow, Pete offers no apology. Mud offers no apology. After all, both he and his spider bug are hungry. Stuart. Stuart. Indeed. Gotta, gotta name your friend. Uh, he blames Starfleet for this war, and I'm sure he's going to say, after all, there was that one woman that started the war. No, no. They started it when they decided to boldly go where no one has gone before. They said the thing, Pete. The, Klingons, ha- the Klingons have pushed back at Starfleet arrogance. Shades, Pete, and I don't say this to, 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 to get people upset, nor to, nor to tweak any noses here. Shades of, uh, of you know, the, the Kelvin Star Trek movies where, you know, you went out into the uh, into the wilderness, and the wilderness is pushing back. Yeah, Star Trek Beyond there, um, but again with the special effects, you don't you don't see little bug things like this put onto TV shows because it's too much money for too little of a consequential effect here. It's, it's barely a story note to bring him a a cracker and then to, uh, at least initially, uh, get into the monologue about the, the little guys who are getting blown up by their war. Uh, mud had a business and, uh, this Starfleet arrogance, they've been caught in the crossfire there before the door opens again. I don't mean to unnecessarily or incorrectly bring in our real world into that that bit there about mud talking about how the the, the little guys are wanting to, you know, they're sick of getting caught, caught in the crossfire. Cross my mind, you know, maybe maybe shades of our modern world where the disenfranchised people who used to have it good and now they don't so much and now they're upset. I don't know if it, if it was a bit of a whiff of that, but regardless, Pete, the Klingons come in. They're ready to allow a choice. Nope. They just take Lorca and leave. With that, Pete, we head back to the Discovery. Now, Pete, listen, all these episodes, I'm a little confused what's going on with this stuff. Can you explain it to me? Well, I have a trio of characters who are about to do that, Matt. And, you know, listen, as someone who's written some TV and uh, actually, as, as both of us who have, have written some TV, um, the idea of giving information through exposition is supposed to happen naturally. 
points off here, this is a less than natural expository scene. Hey, Stamets works with mushrooms. Yes, and here's how the mushrooms communicate with the universe and allow the spore drive to work. And here's what the tardigrade does that taps into that. Everybody get that? Great. Let's move on. I guess not everybody's watching these episodes three times a week. I, I, that's, you know, whatever. I guess there's all kinds of viewers, Pete. But um, then we have a first, Matt, for Star Trek that happens twice. We do. Uh, this whole speech wrapping up with the network needs a co-pilot and one that operates willingly. Pete, then Tilly notes, this is so, you know what in cool. What? And Stamus Never. backs her up. It is you know what in cool, Pete. My My ears. In the history of Star Trek, okay, uh, through 700 plus episodes across seven series across 13 movies at this point, right? 13 uh, or 14. So. Okay. Have we gotten the F word? And I, I don't say this to come off as a prude. I'm just surprised it occurred. This had been teased out and that it was going to be Tilly who, who uttered the first one. Probably the least likely character to to ever do this. Um, but I, I was just – and maybe Stamets might have been the most likely character to have ever said it with the, uh, the sarcasm with which he does it. So if, if you're going to make us, uh, eat our, our, uh, our green beans or whatever, you're going to term the exposition. All right. They, they gave you or, or tried to give you a, a cherry on top of the Sunday with the F word. I do wonder if it's necessary and I'm with you, Pete, it's not about being prudish, you know, I'll, you know, I'll hear your story, however you want to tell it. Um, were they playing with the toy because they had the toy as opposed to they needed the toy? One eh, wonders. And I then, mean, the as, 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 as you said, it is a good character moment for Tilly of all people who is the proxy for the audience. Let's just r remind ourselves here that what they're doing is incredibly cool. You know, it is, but, uh, points off beyond the exposition. How about that uh, Burnham even says that uh, when Ripper borrows DNA from the mycelium, it's granted an all-access free travel pass. Uh, and we're watching this on CBS All Access. This after Matt and I had some difficulty last week and some difficulty this week, including noting as we're refreshing the uh, desktop page, which uh, 8.09 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, we got into the episode tonight. Pete, you just let out the secret for everybody who just shows up at 8.30. You let Listen, out the secret true, that it starts before 8.30. True, true fans, I think, would have figured it out. So if you haven't, you know to go on the website and, and, and not the app. Don't go to the app first. That's the mistake I made last week. Matt's sitting on the desktop and he got it first and we're going back and forth. It's up. No, it's not. Um, but there is also, strangely, Matt, an article, which I sent you a screenshot, <laughs> on this web service of how to watch Star Trek Discovery on this web service. I All I can say is, Pete, we're getting our money's worth for these episodes and whatever the future of TV is, you know, look. Clearly, they're – let me put this way, Pete. Um, how do I put this without having any people from CBS who might be listening be angry at us? 
I know when we're going to take a little CBS All Access subscription hiatus. Um, now you want to you want to prevent that in the future by boom hitting us uh, up with you know Star Trek, the Saru Chronicles, and you know kind of do do the the sister show the the sibling show i think that, that clearly has got to be a year two a year three plan down the line but in the interim pete let's not act like all access is torture let's head back to the klingon ship where laurel is prepping Lorca for torture and she's using did, did i hear correctly pete that he identifies that as english Yes, and uh, I think further fodder for what we're going to talk about uh, when we talk theories later. She descended from spies. Her English is excellent. Language is useful. Um, uh, she tells him as far as doing this work. But they've been busy these past three weeks. Coravon, the fact that his ship vanishes like a ghost um, and trying to get the secret out here. Uh, his secret, his extreme photosensitivity. Um, but uh, he knows that uh, she has a secret of her own. She's been uh, snuggling up, seeking solace with the enemy. Yeah, she does not like uh, that, or at least apparently doesn't like that. She smacks him. Uh, nice little addition of the blood trickle. Uh, then she puts another torture piece on his headset. This is going to uh, pry his eyes open. Um, uh, maybe there's going to be some Beethoven's Fifth playing. I don't know. Uh, classical reference there. Um, and great way to end the act, she says. Does he want glory? Glory is gotten by sacrifice and pain. Boom. Cue how, the lights. How many lights, Matt? Um, you know, Pete, I want to say that they're... There were four lights. There are three lights. You've been pre-programmed to say there are four lights, <laughs> haven't you? Uh, back, we are on the discovery there. Saru tells Lieutenant Reese uh, with his analysis that there's uh, uh, they're ready to go. There's three possible courses that the prison ship may have taken. Uh, Reese reports all pass through the member system. Uh, before Pete, did uh, you happen to notice what one of them was? I did not. Rorapente. Really? Yes. The prison. The prison system. There you go. The prison asteroid. Uh, but uh, the other lieutenant, Lieutenant uh, Okawanashun, uh, informs that they've taken the S drive offline. And uh, in engineering, that is because they are trying some workarounds. Uh, it's Tilly, Stamets, and Burnham. Tilly wonders if you know, maybe what would help out is if she went to the classified files of the name check Daystrom Institute. With that, Pete, Saru arrives and get ready for some Doug Jones acting on top of acting here. He is upset that there's a delay. He's upset that Burnham has taken her concerns to Stamets. The implication being behind Saru's back. And Doug Jones is just wonderful here. He has a fire and an anger in his voice, which are a light year away from the tender, foppish officer seen in the first episode. Yeah, uh, particularly when you consider the amount of latex and the shoes and everything like this. It, it can't be a natural situation to attempt to emote in. And seeing him as the acting captain, knowing 
as we do, there's some insecurity there when it always came uh, as far as being a, a first officer. It came more natural to Burnham, who in the course of seven years from coming into Starfleet to when the Battle of the Binaries happened, she advanced to that. Uh, but here the discussion about uh, humanity and uh, the Mushroom Kingdom diverging about 600 million years ago and the idea that they could somehow find a host with this hypo, another Chekhov's hypo spray here with the uh, the compound that's going to uh, be so important, not just in this episode, but possibly beyond. It's at this point that the bridge calls in. They have a location of a possible Klingon ship. Um, and it's at this point that Saru orders Stamets to bring the drive online and confines Burnham to quarters. Again, just that, that strength and that fire from, uh, from Saru there. Back we go to the Klingon ship. Lorca is brought back to the, uh, the, <laughs> the common prisoner area. And Lorca goes straight for mud. Um, and at first you think it's just some sort of rage or, or payback or whatever, but Lorca, let's not forget Pete, he, our, our inclination, either because of the actor traditionally playing baddies or just because he's not the, you know, the great big brother of Kirk, the great father of, uh, of Picard and so on and so forth, as we've seen from previous captains, because he's a little war hardened, we want to not like him. But he has, while he's been tortured, he has figured out some things. The bug is uh, the bug is a bug, Pete. Stealing food <laughs> was a diversion. The bug has a listening device in it, um, which Lorca has figured out. He explains that he had been throwing in some details that were then given back to him verbatim while being tortured. Yeah, and uh, the idea that Tyler uh, puts forward here we're finished with you mud. We're going to choose our pain. We're going to choose you. So now Harry mud is on the clock until nothing is left. He's told, um, rain but, Wilson looks genuinely terrified or, or rain Wilson's yeah. acting. You know, he, he makes mud look genuinely terrified, particularly once Lorca throws Stuart, the bug into the wall. Um, and, and I mean, there's just this great range of emotion. Um, we are, we are so far flung from the beach farm, Pete. The details continue to emerge. Uh, mud knows all about Lorca's last command here. The USS Buran, uh, that was boarded and, uh, there was only one escapee that a Gabriel Lorca, but he explains Lorca does that. He's only half right. Uh, he scuttled the ship and killed his own crew. He wasn't allowing them to be taken prisoner, to be degraded on Cronus with a slow public death. So this is a man of very strong convictions when it comes to his crew to the point of dooming them to save them from humiliation. And I mean, it, it, it is such a quickly and well, well presented scene. It is concise and you kind of walk away still seeing both sides and seeing them in perfection. There still is the, the question as to, to Lorca's leadership. Uh, but there still is the conviction of his answer there. 
uh, Mud notes that none of them have souls anymore, and we head back to to the Discovery, where hopefully, Pete, things are a bit more upbeat. Yeah. <laughs> Can you get more, uh, possibly more upbeat than talking about destroying your entire crew? Um, we've got the tardigrade beamed into the reaction cube. We've got Burnham in her quarters. Uh, they warp out here and through the S drive, the, the tardigrade drops. It contracts. All of this water seems to spill out of it. It was painful to watch Matt. And again, kudos on the special effects to one create this monster and two to, you know, we talked about anthropomorphosis early in the episode to, you know, have us care for it in the way that this bug monster is contracting and, and leaking water to, as Colbert explains, a state of extreme cryptobiosis to reduce its water content to less than 1%. This is in a survival mode. I have no doubt that the special effects discussions were to, to bring elements that are familiar to us to the tardigrade, particularly mm -hmm. when it stands on the two legs. You know, surely bears were a reference um, and other mammals to kind of bring in that, you know, that, that subconscious appreciation on our end. Uh, that does not nonetheless take away from the fact that it still looks like a giant, you know, uh, one of those potato bugs, but looks far mm -hmm. more ugly than your standard potato bug. And still, as you're saying, Pete, there's such there's such an emotive quality. The sound design, which I know we spoke about last week, but it deserves the the, the shout out again this week. Uh, to have that hurt animal cry to it, that helps sell it as well. The animation is wonderful, and here we have this little shriveled up you know thing that doesn't look like not only does not look like a threat, but also doesn't look like it has much potential left to it in life, in usefulness, etc. Saru hears the idea that there's this uh, sort of maximum hibernation going on, then quickly starts to order others to prepare next steps, other steps, steps, and Culber brings him back to this extreme situation and adds, this may be a sentient creature, and, uh, and nonetheless is told, do whatever you can to prep it for the next jump, despite the fact that it may kill it. And uh, Saru also hammers home with Stamets, you know, those are your orders as well, prepare for the next jump. He does accept the responsibility, says he will, that if it is sentient, he'll take the fall. But right now he's got 134 souls to protect. It's the first time we've been given a crew compliment of the Discovery. Teensy and crew. Yeah, comparatively speaking, we know that uh, there, there were 800 on the Kelvin uh, and though we're not in the Kelvin timeline, remember the Kelvin was a vessel out there when it was interrupted the timeline. So, okay, there'll be larger ships. Uh, well, no, that, that ship's already sailed. The Kelvin is, is already, uh, out there. Wait, time is confusing. <laughs> the Kelvin would have been out there. Yes. Uh, 15 or so years ago, I actually went on a memory alpha dive, uh, separate okay. from my one about the Klingon, uh, Romulan Alliance, I tweeted about one on uniforms and that's, you know, the Kelvin style uniform is a legit prime universe uniform yes. from which they're presumably taking, like they're tighter than the captain Archer era jumpsuits. What do we have? Yes. We have some of the tightness left over for the current style of, uh, of uniform. 
Yeah, and and again, this is not to open up the the timeline debate. We know firmly this is non-Kelvin, so the events that happen there do not influence this. But that ship existed. There were 800 people on it, so we're told. And here, this ship, this experimental ship, the last of its kind, only 134. Colber uh, is not going to rehydrate this. Uh, he is, of course, talking to Stamets. He tells Stamets that he's going to take care of this uh, so that they can move forward. Back, we return to that D7-class Klingon ship. Uh, Pete, the Klingons are there. Time to choose some pain. Tyler eventually, I think mean eventually, there's a moment of tension, and then Tyler volunteers himself, and Mud agrees, Mud agrees. Uh, Tyler gets beat a few times, then jumps out of the way as the heel kick comes in again. You see Pete, that first beating, whoever was beat, that was set up for story stuff right now. The unspoken Starfleet signal is heard. Lorca attacks the second Klingon, and after a brief fight, the two Klingons are downed. Tyler says that he was waiting for a two-man escape option. Then the right man came along. <laughs> yeah, mud completely thrown under the bus there. Um, but uh, they they head out. They leave mud around, um, and he tells them he tells Lorca that uh, he's coming for him that uh, we've not seen the last of hardcore Fenton mud. We get these green flashes. It's pretty clear there's some kind of disruptor technology. There's there's no mess. Uh, kind of makes it a little easier from a uh, effect standpoint there. Uh, but Tyler's uh, down. He's suddenly having a hard time walking, Matt. Hmm, what might that all be about? Uh, the, the guns there, you noted before the little, uh, bayonet style thing. I'm thinking more properly, those might be mechleths because a batleth would, would be the length of a, of an entire rifle, uh, to put it on there. Um, and then, uh, Laurel comes around the corner there as Tyler is alone, asks, you think you could leave me? Um, and, uh, interrupted in the middle of what seems like a fight uh, comes Lorca, uh, who is back to save Tyler, thinks he's found the docking bay, and they leave as the act breaks. It's a slightly weak point in the writing that Lorca so so quickly leaves him, then turns the corner the moment Laurel shows up. I mentioned this because, Pete, let's stick a pin in that. Now you're making me reconsider, is it a weak spot in the writing? And we will come back to that. We're getting ever closer to the theory, Pete, which I am sure is correct and is going to blow people's minds. Anyhow, um, just want to add, because I think it'll play into the next time we see Laurel in a future episode, uh, Lorca's uh, missed shot, the only missed shot in the entire fight, uh, hits the wall, and whether it's wall paneling or acid or electric power juice or whatever it might be, Laurel is there screaming in pain as as part of her face starts to turn red. Um, but as you say, act break, and they're in a Klingon Raider. Very, very glass cockpit. Initially, I was like, oh, I don't know about this design. It strikes me as very Klingon to say, we're going to have as much glass as possible because you know what? I see you, you see me. Let's do the dance of death here. <laughs> yeah, and Discovery becomes aware of this uh, 
party of raiders, one moving more erratically than the other, uh, they are also firing on them. Uh, they've got five in pursuit of them. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, even though he's told by, uh, Lorca, how Lorca would know what the blue button does with shields, uh, Tyler seems to find it rather quickly. Mm. Um, cut to the discovery where Saru is clearly reading the situation. He he's pausing long enough, even as the one officer is saying, you know, they're, they're in firing range. The first one's in firing range. He can see that one of the ship is behaving ships is behaving differently from the rest. Uh, he hails that ship. Uh, I also like too how there's this, um, you know, they're watching on the display how there's a camera kind of tracking it. You can see how the angle is getting a bit funky because whatever camera on the ship is, you know, doesn't have this perfect cinematic view of it, which and this is all a compliment. I like that there's this very mm-hmm. kind of, you know, obscured angles yeah. in space. <laughs> um, with that, they confirm it's him and Lorca says, you know, beam us out. Um, and they, they both get beamed out. And I was just waiting for it, waiting for it. And, you know, they're, they're, mostly out of there as the ship is fired on and, and explodes um sarah at this point calls engineering are things ready yes says stamets completely over the microphone not not shown there pete mm-hmm. i wonder when that's going to come back like in 30 seconds um Lorca and tyler beam in uh tyler kind of falls a bit a bit strangely and Lorca tells him welcome home and uh tyler says there's no place i'd rather be pete yeah. Uh we go back to the bridge uh where uh Stamets is told over comms there excellent work but uh wait a minute Matt his life signs he he's in engineering but his life signs are in distress they better get ba- down to engineering better hurry. So of course Saru has you know the the direct bridge access with the turbo if he gets there before you know medical team to engineering um I got it it's a TV show uh Saru Saru and crew arrive at engineering Stamets is in the chamber himself he looks dead Saru feels for a pulse you know the the two uh the two wounds on Stamets side very clear there from the uh, the machine that we've seen in action a couple of times now um and stamus wakes up did we make it yes and stamus just laughs and laughs and laughs in um what is a very affirming scene but in retrospect is also proof that something isn't completely right yeah and i appreciated what anthony rap gave us uh from a from a maniacal type of uh laugh there uh, apart from the silliness of it um but Later on, we have uh, Saru come to see Burnham, um, explains that Lorca has been rescued, but there's been a setback with the tardigrade, which she already knows because Tilly did that, uh, gave that news. But she asked to speak freely there. Uh, Why are you afraid of me? He's not afraid. He's angry. He was deeply jealous. He anticipated that. Uh, Burnham as um, the number one as the uh, first officer would move up and out and then he could take her place. He would have been more prepared for today studying under a a top five captain 
in Captain Giorgio. Yeah, this whole notion that his time was coming to, to, to sit at the to sit at the left of the the mother, so to speak, to sit at the left of uh, Giorgio and all her wisdom, and because of Burnham's actions, that now has been taken away. So again, this idea that Burnham was not the great resource, Giorgio was the resource, and Burnham has ruined it for Giorgio and her life, for Burnham and her own experience, and for Saru, who was next in line. Um, it's at this point that Burnham takes out the telescope. She says that it was left to her, but she then gifts it to Saru so that he can see the universe as Georgiou did. Um, it was this was a uh, heart and throat moment here. It was. It was. It was very nice. And the respect with which he kind of runs his hand over it, it's, uh, it's a well-earned moment. Saru at this point says that he will, of course, remain in temporary command. Well, maybe not of course. He's making it clear. It's of course to Burnham, to, uh, to we the audience. Oh, he's still in temporary command. Uh, he does need help in one area. The tardigrade knows no owner over its soul, and he tasks Burnham with saving it, saving the creature. Yeah, and we go from there to Tilly and uh, Burnham over the tardigrade uh she thinks that this adverse uh environment if it can respond here see that it would be uh happy to be free she pours the spores out over it and then they raise it up and out the airlock where it opens up it kind of taps into that uh, mycelial network and it jumps away uh, then we have Saru with his own personal performance review. He cancels that protocol uh, to uh, analyze him against those famed other captains before we finally wind up with Stamets and Colbert as uh, Stamets is brushing his teeth and Colbert is uh, scanning him. Yeah, and I... I this is one of these situations joking aside about spoilers this and that the other um i wish i had gotten this scene fresh from any any spoilers and fresh from fresh from this knowledge of the reveal ahead of time because ultimately this is just a very humdrum scene and it's lovely it is beautiful because it is so casual they're talking mm -hmm. about their day there's a little little leftover from the plot you know one last medical check yeah the episode ends with one of the most frightening ends of a star trek episode ever but we'll get to that in a moment um i wish i was able i wish i would have been able to see this scene in a vacuum because you just kind of go oh like it it's so caringly and lovingly put together where he's getting a scan he's brushing his teeth wait now they're both brushing their teeth where do you do this you do this at home they're home it, it's right. it's so elegantly, quietly put together. Yeah, and Aaron Harbert's talked a lot about having uh, Stamets as a member of the crew, as the first uh, character on a Star Trek TV show that's in a gay relationship. And this is just two men in a relationship. This is not... Uh, as so many feared, oh my goodness, they're going to shove it in people's faces. That That's not what this is. This is two people who care for one another, one scanning the other. Yes, he's a medical professional, but as it comes across in the discussion here, 
he he cares about him he's worried about him don't do this again yes dear doctor he tells him i feel okay and again we just see an open honest realistic portrayal of their relationship nothing fancy indeed pete i would say there's not there's not you know sparks between them as there were with with laurel and vak and the look of you know where where relationships begin where you say ooh, it's it's being in in the relationship being in the situation there um and pete if we're gonna if we're gonna can get i don't even want to say up in arms if we're gonna geek out over something let's talk about let's talk about the real impressive thing in the room culber's scanny thing yeah, this being the little device that's normally taken out of the bottom of the classic original series tricorders that uh, spins around and he's got, you know, a, a, a current updated model of it, albeit, you know, 10 years in the past and just really neat to see. Um, the thing that struck me on a second watch, Stamets talking about, you know, all his life trying to understand this mycelial network and now that he's injected himself with the tardigrade dna and he was the navigator this unspeakable beauty that he saw and he now understands they're foreshadowing obviously the look into the mirror as the episode ends which i would have been okay with just the happy quiet ending but i also get that there's you know this is one heck of a, of a journey this week the writers were on twitter saying you know we are four chapters we're five chapters into a 15 chapter story here so of course you got to end with you got to end with some sizzle to get you to next week um both of them step away from the mirror but stamets's reflection does not and that is one of the most chilling i mean mr warfire is never going to be surpassed in star trek as a cliffhanger this might shoot to the top of the list of many many great cliffhangers from you know from all the series the all the two parters this is uh, this is up there this is top five easily looks like we have a threat analysis coming in pete where are we going to start we will look at laurel here matt targeting lorca uh using torture and then whatever was going on with her and Lieutenant Tyler. It's great to see them using Laurel more and more. She's such a compelling character. I love the details of her costume. This has nothing to do with the you know analysis of her threat, but just the, the, the red gems uh, along the, yes. the shoulder area, the shoulder pads. Um, They're not new. They've been there, but I oh, think yeah, they yeah. were a little bit more noticeable. Um, and to think that, you know, Mary Chivo has been so active on Twitter and social media engagement and personal engagement at Star Trek LV and all that, um, and then had such a little, little role in the, in, in the pilot where it's like, oh, have I been mistaken? But she's now just so deeply ensconced as a, as a character. And, uh, I, I can't wait to find out what happened, what happened to her face, what happened to her wound. Yeah, I think further, I mean, she's the only female Klingon we have right now. We've teased this matriarchal house of uh, Mokai. There's been a, a time jump of three weeks from the last episode. So we didn't see Valk and whatever everything 
that was going to cost him was, but we're about to talk about it. Indeed, Pete, as we check the long range sensors to look ahead, uh, I know that on my rewatch of last week's episode, the notion that Vok has to, has to give up everything. Well, you know, let's start with this, Pete. What could the everything be that he has to give up this, this Uber Klingon guy? If their mantra um, espoused by Takovma was to remain Klingon, the purity, reuniting the 24 warring houses, then what more everything could you be than to go to a house of uh, Makai, one that we now have confirmed to be into espionage and to lose your Klingonness in order to complete a mission. Pete, you said that theory right before we started to record. And I said, oh, okay. And you said, hold on, I need to go get a drink you know, before we record here. And then as you said that, I looked over the note in which I wanted to remind everybody that Shazad Latif was originally cast to play the disciple mm-hmm. of Takovma and find was originally named Cole and renamed Vak. And when you came back, I said, oh my goodness, Pete, now I fully understand what you're saying. Shazad Latif didn't stop playing Takuvma's disciple. Shazad Latif is playing Takuvma's disciple in this episode. I think that a, a dual reveal, you, you saw him drop when they got to the discovery. I almost thought for certain there would have been, wait a minute, there, there, something happened to the transporter buffer. There was an anomaly, but we were in the middle of a firefight, so we didn't check it. Okay. But with what happens with Stamit at the end, Stamitz at the end, to to have a dual reveal that something is up with Tyler would have been too much, and they wisely went the one direction. But um, I believe there's an organism on the Discovery that can detect Klingons, even those that would be undercover. Matt, I don't know the trouble with Tribbles, maybe. So, Pete, just spell this out for people. You are saying, <laughs> and I'll, I'll kind of tee it up and you can take it from there. You are saying that Vok, when we last saw him in the last episode, was told he has to lose everything. The everything that he's, that, that w- it will be revealed, you are suggesting, is that he has to lose everything of his Klingon nature. Just as we have seen with other Star Trek uh, instances, The Trouble with Tribbles, Vok has now taken the form of Lieutenant Ash Tyler, put in as the fake the fake prisoner here, and mm-hmm. we know there are Tribbles on board. We know that Tribbles and Klingons don't get along. They're going to reuse that at some point. I can't see it not going that way. I'm going to be disappointed if it doesn't go that way. There's too much potential for it to be that. It, there really, really is. Then you factor in, Pete, the threat ganglia that Saru has. Yes. I mean, to that me, are, that are if, getting set off by Burnham, which wouldn't be set off. I mean, can you detect a Klingon that we've not established? But uh, we know that Klingons have in the original series gone through uh, makeovers to to look human. We had Kirk be made over as a Romulan in order to gain access there. So this is a thing. This exists in this universe. We have a triple on board. Um, I fully expect some scene at some point where Tyler winds up in that, uh, ready room. Oh my God, you have a tribble. 
I've never seen it act that way. There's your Klingon. And, and we, the audience, will be ahead of the curve there. That'll be and, the pre-reveal. And end episode nine. Add to your There's theory, your Pete. The, uh, it seemed incongruous that you know last episode ends with sparks of flying, at least unspoken sparks, between Laurel and Vok. Would she so quickly lay with a human man, particularly human? Um, yep. Okay, if you want to say this is, you know, this is the wartime jollies versus the the, the real love, that's one option. But it I seemed think we incongruous. were seeing a Klingon mating ritual in the hallway that Lorca interrupted. Uh, not a B town, which not which they could be confused to to the Homo sapien species, but. Um, yeah, I, I I really think this is Vok. And let's not forget, I mean, it was not a joke last podcast where I said, you know, it's been referenced in Next Generation that in uh, uh, in the Klingon mating ritual, men read poetry and women hurl furniture. So we're not that far from, from violence of that level. Um, Pete, I am totally on board with this. It's not just that it's a wacky theory. It's that there's evidence tangential to be sure but there's evidence here and evidence there and something doesn't seem to quite fit but then this solves it even let's not forget Lorca who smelled a rat or suspected a rat with mud and fed him phrases and so on and so forth what's to say he wouldn't do that again with Lieutenant Tyler and say oh you you want to stay here that's kind of weird all right you stay here I'll be right back and as soon as he turns the corner a discussion unfurls he could have been right around that corner listening in or whatever there's tons of story potential here and if five seasons from now lieutenant tyler is written off the show because he's gone through his story arc and then he's going to retire back to earth it'll be a missed opportunity and then stamets at the end you know he leaves his reflection remains in the mirror um and seeing the network as he has now um if if what we're saying with Tyler is, is true and he's, he's a Klingon spy saboteur, both, uh, then Stamets is really more of the, the classic Star Trek original series villain that who has gained control of some kind of universal knowledge. How often did we have a celestial all knowing being a la a Q before they were Q Trelane or any of those uh, as a real foil for our crew and for Kirk. Pete, before we check the mailbag, before we announce our contest winner, just want to say a big thanks to everyone who supports us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek. You are our dilithium processing unit that makes everything go <laughs> more helpful than a bunch of spore hub drives are our patrons so get yourself over uh warp don't walk to patreon.com p-a-t-r-e-o-n slash fantastic geek with the ph all one word everybody who contributes is going to get exclusive podcast content and then there's all sorts of packages to contribute at so thank you once again with that let's go to hailing frequencies hailing frequencies open sir Pete, we start on Twitter where our pal Henry Perno, that's at Henry Da Red, 
uh, asked, did you notice the way Rain Wilson's upper facial hair curved into Harry Mudd's TOS mustache? The whole costume from the the updating, which is actually, you know, retroactive and the the facial hair kudos again it was an inspired casting they really went to town on him to create the parallels and uh, i'm just over the moon with what rain wilson's given us as this character and i i look forward to the richness they can continue to give us i mean he was one of very few to recur on the original series and the idea that we've got a prequel of him is just tremendous Next up, Pete, an email, and uh, for listeners who do not join us for some of our Marvel Cinematic Universe stuff, hang on. It's going to start with Marvel, then it's going to end with Star Trek in a, in a really, really great way. So, Pete, here's the email. Dear Matt, Besta Peter, I want to thank you for all your interesting, keen, and sometimes witty podcasts. Jessica Jones was my first Marvel series I watched. I always listened to your podcast before I allowed myself to watch the next episode. Through your podcast, I got more and more enthusiastic about the MCU and started watching Daredevil. Finally, I decided to do all the, uh, all the things a little more in the right order. So I watched Captain America, three Iron Man movies, Thor, and the first Avengers movie. At present, I watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Agent Carter and listen to your podcasts with great joy. An even nicer surprise was, as being a lifelong Star Trek fan, I'm 56, and waiting for Star Trek Discovery, that the two of you Marvel geeks decided to do a Star (laughs) Trek podcast as well. I'm enjoying watching the show via Netflix, and although After Trek is a nice show, it's not enough for me. I'm always looking forward to your podcast, which I listen to on my bike to and from work. It makes me really see the episode once more during biking. Free cinema on my bike. Don't worry, I still pay attention to traffic. As I'm biking through Rotterdam City, I really feel like a fantastic geek. Greetings and Harkelete Hroten, Fred from the Netherlands, a.k.a. Dutch Fred. Wow, I am completely completely blown away matt by that email uh Uh, first off because my grandfather was from rotterdam um and uh it's the reason i'm into star trek is because my grandparents brought me to star trek movies when i was a little boy and my grandfather was a cruise ship captain uh from from rotterdam so holy smokes man fred I haven't met you, but we're going to have to catch up at some point. I'm just absolutely floored and uh, wowed. I, I don't speak Dutch, so unfortunately I don't get the, the little greeting that you dropped there. But uh, I, I think I, I got the universal language. <laughs> well, I hope that I did justice to Hartelecka Horten. Uh, not with the, at the end at the end. I keep saying that. Hartelecka Horten. At least that's what Google Translate told me. Pete. Here's what's going to happen. We're just a couple of years away from from Google or somebody finalizing the Universal Translator. There um, already is. It's funny that you mentioned that. There's an earpiece. Uh, it's not Google. Somebody else has one that's out, and it translates. And, and I, I know that the last two weeks at the demo, it was a scripted demo, and they were up front saying this is scripted. But it's like, oh my goodness, we're getting to a point where it's an earpiece, and you can do a scripted conversation. We're not that far away from language falling away i just want to mention Pete, a little behind the scenes thing here as i was reading the email which you knew nothing about i wanted to save this little gem for you 
when I said, dear Matt, besta Peter. And you, you sent the message through Skype, besta? It's like, yup. You know, and I love how I love how uh, Fred, aka Dutch Fred, it's like he slowly reveals himself. He watched these things, and then he's biking, or, or, or you know, and then Rotterdam, and so on and so forth. So, thank you, Fred, so much. I hope that you can continue to keep in touch. Um, part of what is so fun about doing these podcasts is being in touch with these people from literally yeah. around the world. Occasionally, people, yeah. I'm feeling like, oh man, we gotta we gotta pre prep punisher and then now we have runaways in the mix and then okay when does trek take its hiatus i'll just hop on the little geo map and go wow like we might not be the number one most listened to podcast in the entire world wow that's a lot of people out there and how fitting for star trek you know we're all we're all one to be listened to in over 80 countries at this point it, it it makes me feel small but more connected with the human race. So, uh, Dutch Fred. Yeah. Thanks again, man. That's, that's tremendous. And, uh, we're glad to give you something to, uh, to ride your bicycle to and from work. Thank you. Uh, and indeed, Fred, if you feel like a fantastic geek, you are a fantastic <laughs> geek buddy. Uh, with that, Pete, uh, now time for another, uh, another honor here. We have been putting out the call for reviews to either the uh, Discovery a Star Trek podcast uh, feed, uh, reviews on iTunes, or the Pop Culture Podcast feed. You can mention Star Trek there. We have three badges. We have medical. We got ops. We have science. Who, Pete, is our winner this week, first of the three remaining badges? Well, we have a review left to iTunes by uh, Dr. Bob K., the headline is well done again, five stars, and it reads Matt and Pete once again do a fine job in going into the details of each episode and giving a detailed analysis of what happens and of the quality of the episode. I look forward each week to seeing the next one. Well done, guys. Well, well done, Bob, uh, Dr. Bob K, because you have won yourself the choice of our remaining three Starfleet Discovery badges. And indeed, we will. Uh, I'll be in touch with uh, with uh, Doctor Bob soon. I, I, I wonder, Pete, especially with us having corresponded a bit with uh, with the most wise Doctor Bob, will he go medical? Will he go ops? Will this man of faith <laughs> go for science? I don't know. This is there's be a two totally... left, man. You want to get on these because I'm telling you right now. Every time I see a picture of them, or or put one up on Twitter or our Facebook, so people can write a review and, and be eligible. I'm like, you know, we can just Matt and I can just take them and, you know, that'll be that. <laughs> but, you know, we, we got them for a specific purpose and you help us increase the people who know about our podcast by the number of iTunes reviews. It's a it's a metric. Uh, so thank you again, Dr. Bob, and uh, enjoy whichever of the badges that you pick. With that, Pete. I know we've run through a whole lot. How can people be in touch with you? Maybe to talk about, you know, uh, common uh, appreciations of Rotterdam or maybe to talk about Star Trek or Marvel or whatever else. How can people be in touch with you? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, -E -E 9,543 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast anytime you like. We are Fantastic Geek. 
you can leave a message at fan, uh, leave a comment on fantasticgeek.com, uh, send an email to fantasticgeek at gmail.com, tweet us, or see our Instagram stuff also under the name of Fantastic Geek. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek, all one word with the PH, like it today. If you are listening to us on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we'll be back on Friday to jump on into more in humans if you're listening to us on the uh discovery feed we'll be back next sunday for the next exciting adventure cannot believe pete there's six seven eight nine we have four more weeks until a uh, a little break there for discovery with that pete i will say to all our listeners can't wait for somebody to figure out what that means it actually means a thing um and it's not a super nice thing uh with that pete i will leave you with the final word I love feeling feelings.